Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, we're just a couple sleeps away from the start of the NFL season. Bucks hosting the Dallas Cowboys. A couple. And we're one sleep away. Well, that's right. Well, for me, I, I nap, so I'm well, counting my uh, naps because okay. you get the afternoon, and then you know it takes me a few sleeps to get through the day because we're up so late doing this podcast. But, um, but yeah, one day away. You're right. Uh, we're kicking it off uh, the NFL season. Bucks, Cowboys at Raymond James Stadium. You got Ed Sheeran in town. They'll try to go to both games. They put out some protocols for you guys. Parking lots when they'll open. There's tailgating this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, what more could you ask for? It's like football is back, baby. Well, Chris Collinsworth, in Michelle Tafoya is in say, town. They were in town. Didn't see Al. Didn't see Al Michaels yet. But then, you know, he's Al Michaels. So, do you believe in red eyes? Yes. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll, I'm sure he'll be rolling in here soon. Tony Dungy, of course, has to drive 11 miles from his home in Avila all the way to Raymond James to do the studio show. So, it should be fun. Um, you know, I'm going to be on uh, Dan Patrick on Thursday morning around 10.30, 10.35, something like that. So check that out. Be talking to Dan and the Danettes, so that'll be fun. But we got a lot coming up as well as uh, college football. Uh, we're going to be joined by Matt Baker to talk about all the games last week and, and set you up for the big one at Raymond James, of course, Florida at USF. I was going to say Florida hosts USF. That's kind of what they're doing. But they're doing it at Raymond James Stadium. I think there'll be a lot of Gator fans there in uh, USF trying to bounce back from their 45 to nothing loss, I think, to North Carolina State. So we've got all the college football talk in just a minute with Matt Baker. But I want to start with the Bucks and with a guy that's as valuable as anybody who returned. We talk a lot about the 22 returning starters on the Bucks team from their Super Bowl. Well, you've heard from Byron Left, which we had that podcast. If you haven't heard that, go back and check it out on our archives the Bucks offense quarter. Now we had a chance, or I did, a chance to sit down with the Bucks defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, who, for my money, that's going to be your decider right there this year. I think that we kind of know what to expect from the offense, you know, barring injuries and things. They're going to be better because they're, they're another year in the system. Tom Brady um, certainly has a familiarity with his players. They're loaded again. We know that. All the receivers, uh, the running backs, yeah, Giovanni Bernard, so... We know all about those guys. But in my mind, it might be the defense um, that leads this football team in that uh, they were dominant throughout the postseason last year and during that eight-game win streak, which they're still currently on. Uh, It was the defense that created turnovers, Devin White in particular, Shaq Barrett, JPP. Now you get Vita Vea back for a full season, hopefully. He joined them late in the playoffs last year at the NFC Championship game. Uh, The young secondary is growing up, the Gravediggers as they call themselves, Carlton Davis, saying he's second to none uh, in the NFL in terms of a cover corner. Uh, So a lot of bravado back there. But the mastermind, the guy that really gives them a chance every Sunday, is Todd Bowles, and he's been doing it for a number of years. He's used to play for Bruce Arians. He's been with him in many stops, and they got the band together again. And this guy, who was a head coach of the New York Jets for four years, should be a head coach again. 
But but him coming back for a third season and the continuity on this defense and how it just seems to up its game with some young players every year to year to year, to me that's going to be their winning edge uh, as they try to navigate this 2021 season, and particularly against the Dallas Cowboys because you're talking about some some real talent on that side of the ball. We haven't seen what Dak Prescott can do uh, since his injury in Week 5 last year, but how about the receivers? I mean, you think you know Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Antonio Brown are good, um, listen, they're loaded over there, right, with Michael Gallup and Amari Cooper and CeeDee Lamb. Um, then you have Ezekiel Elliott who's going to come in here and absolutely try to run the ball, and that's going to help Dak Prescott, who at the time before his injury was on an MVP pace, the way he was throwing the football and making plays. They expect nothing less from him. So it's going to be a great game. It's going to be on Todd Bowles um, to sort of figure out you know, how his defense can get better from last year uh, when they won the Super Bowl and held no less than the Kansas City Chiefs to no touchdowns in Super Bowl 55. So had a chance to sit down with Todd the other day, and here's my interview with defensive coordinator Todd Bowles. I, I just talked to Devin White, who you've been around this league a long time. That kid, or that young man, his, his future is bright, and his presence is pretty good already. Um, I guess he's kind of, he likes to talk to see struck up kind of a friendship with uh, Patrick Willis and some of the other players around the league. He reminds me a lot of Patrick Willis. Does he remind you of any guys you've been around before? I know these comparisons are, are weird, weird, right? But His play style is very comparable to Patrick Willis's play style. I wasn't around Patrick enough to know his energy, but yeah. Devin's energy is, is, is infectious and, and it lights up the defense from that standpoint. He wants to be good. He wants to work on every facet of his yeah. game. And you really love that about him. He wants to know this year how I'm thinking, why I'm thinking, and and be on the same page in the game. And, and that's what you're looking for in one of your leaders. When you see a guy like that explode on the biggest stage, right, he unfortunately couldn't play the first preseason game. Had it been on Saturday, you'd have played. It was on Sunday. Or had it been on Sunday, you'd have played. Um, does that just – you knew he was special, but there, there was another gear, right, um, to make those big plays. I, I, we knew he was special when we got him in the draft that year. We knew he was special from that standpoint. We knew he had to learn the system and learn the game. I didn't expect him to learn it this fast, <laughs> you know. And he learns it this fast because he loves the game. Devin yeah. is, is not just a game performer. He's like that in practice. practice. He's like that in warm-ups when they jog. He's like that all the time. That, that's just who he is, mm-hmm. and that, that's what makes it so great. So that that's what makes it so great to be around them. When did you when did you know or kind of have a feel that like okay this defense pretty good performance and maybe not so good and it kind of went back and forth but but that second half of the Kansas City game I know they got off to a bleed you guys kind of kept them right there and then from then on in those last eight weeks they kept getting better and better so could you see did you did, could you pinpoint like when it kind of clicked when things were was it just the young guys growing up in the secondary was it as simple as that, or, or just time on task? I really think it was during the bye. You know, we were pretty nicked up. We had went a pretty good stretch right there. Yeah, yeah. Guys were slowing Long, down. 12 weeks. And guys were slowing down and nicked up, and nobody ever makes excuses. But, you it's know, reality. they needed to rest. It's the reality. They needed some rest, and we needed to refocus as a team and not get carried away with what happened, but understand what we had to do going forward. And I think Coach Aaron did a great job of, redirecting the ship and re- reshaping everybody's focus going forward and, and you know and the guys got some rest and we came out with a new 
newfound attitude and some rest and relaxation and, and some focus came back with that and we honed in on little things and stopped beating ourselves and you know, I think it took off from there. Thirty one to nine uh, thirty whatever it was, thirty one to nine Super Bowl. I mean you keep Kansas City out of the end zone. I don't know how many people had that uh, charted up, but uh, that week of practice you could I mean again, you guys were still getting you were still ascending, I think when the Super Bowl ended, right? Yeah, I, and I think the focus was there with everybody. Everybody understood their assignment. You yeah. know, it, it's easy to say that we rushed him with four, but he had time to throw and there was nobody open. Right. And I don't think the coverage part of it got Gets enough, enough credit. respect for even when he scrambles, even in any other game, you see him throw the ball and make guys great plays. Open, yeah. Guys were covered and guys were open, and that allowed him those guys to really get after it and I think they work hand in hand I don't think one went past the other but yeah. there were times where he had time to throw and, and they're holding the ball when you make somebody hold the ball of that caliber then you know that says a lot about the back end as well so yeah. I just think they gelled at the right time and the attention to detail was there the focus was there obviously we played them the first time so we had prior experiences and we made some adjustments and they went out and executed you were, uh, been, you've been a young coach in this league. You're still relatively young coach in this league, in my opinion. But uh, Byron Leftwich was a first-year coordinator when you got here, right? Uh, he's going to call a play for the first time. Still a young guy, 41. Um, what have you, what have you noticed? Because you're on the other side of the ball, right? But you go against him all the time. Like, what can you say about Byron in, in terms of what you know? He's a quarterback. Unique to see that game the way he sees it, right from behind the center. Not every coach has that. You played. Not every coach has that, but what have you liked about what Byron has done? Well, he's done a great job at handling the personalities. You know, there's a lot of personalities on offense. I think he's very patient yeah. and addressing each guy differently, and that that brings maturity beyond his age. And you yeah. know, we talk a lot, but we talk about a lot of things, and we bounce things off of each other. But I think the maturity in which he has and allow them to let the players shine and designing plays to make them be successful and still sit back and nurture some of the younger guys and bring them along because it's it's all and when we both played and we know it's all about the players and the team and not the coaches yeah and and i think he's he's very mature in that aspect he's not one of them guys that say look at me look at me but mm-hmm. you look at the scenes behind the scenes like we do every day you see the work this guy puts in and you can't have nothing but respect for him and you know you wish everybody else could see that but brian byron's a very good coach he's a damn good coach it's funny because he uh you know, he's, he gets in early. That's just kind of what he wants to do. But everybody was like, oh, you got Tom Brady. That's so much pressure. How are you going to – he says, really? He took it the other way. <laughs> like, I got Tom Brady. <laughs> exactly right. You know, when you get great players, I think every great player wants to be coached. Yeah. And, yeah. and not for you to change their game, but tweak or add something yeah. that they can use. Yeah. You know, if, if, no matter if it's that, that small. That much, yeah. But you have to coach them and – you don't let nobody get the short end of the stick. So I, I think he does a very good job with that. I think I think he's a very good coach. How much coaching do you do at home? You've got three sons. Two of them are already balling out at Jesuit. One's a senior getting offers. The other one's a better athlete. Like One's at Rutgers right now. Oh, he is at Rutgers. He's at Rutgers. Oh, he's been okay. last, so last year was his senior year? Last year was his okay, senior year. Okay, I screwed that up. Wow, he's okay. So he's at right Rutgers. Now. Okay. He's, 
other one. That's Todd, right? All right. Yeah. And Troy is Troy a sophomore. Troy is a junior. Junior. Okay. And he is listed as the best linebacker in the country for 2023. Ooh, wow. And last week he had no three pressure. sacks on a pick six. <laughs> nice he, start. He, that he, wasn't even a game that counted, was it? Or it did wasn't it? the one that counted, but he was a monster. Wow. I mean, I've, I've critiqued him his whole life and said something. And last week I had nothing to say. <laughs> Very we get a car, just nice job. I didn't say anything. He's driving, so I don't even ride home with him anymore. I was like, wow, I couldn't believe that was my son. But, you know, he's working hard, and Tyson's doing great in school, and Mrs. does a great job taking care of him. So, wow. you know, all three of them, I'm just, you know, you're a dad. You yeah, know? I know what it's you, like. Yeah. You're a dad. That's all you can do is be a dad. The coach and stuff is different. There's, there's, There can't be – I mean, you've won a Super Bowl. You've done – great things in your career like you've been in this league a long time and there's plenty of, of skins on the wall right for you is there anything more gratifying than to see your sons uh, compete and it's also probably a little i can't do anything about it i you know you like you like to be able to control things but you don't have that control so there's just kind of mixed emotions there. But what's it like for you to watch them and nothing is more gratifying than to see my sons go through life and grow up yeah. and live and be happy and go through the next steps. That That is the biggest satisfaction for me. Yeah. Bigger than anything, that's why I get to work so early so I can so attend can a lot time of their activities yeah. and have time and I make sure I don't miss anything and Bruce makes Bruce sure Bruce would I don't fire miss, you if you did, right? Bruce makes sure I don't miss anything so, you know, that, that, that's like the biggest thing for me. It, well, it's the biggest thrill for me. The good thing is the home games are just right down right the street. Right down the street. I'm good. I can go 15 right there minutes go away. right home. It doesn't bother me at all. Yeah. My thanks to Todd. If you think that was a treat, we're going to get you ready for the Bucks hosting the Dallas Cowboys, and we have interviews with Devin White, the Bucks linebacker, who you just heard Todd Bowles speak about, and the GOAT, Tom Brady. A portion of my interview with him will also be on tomorrow's podcast on Sports Day Tampa Bay, taking you – up to uh, you know, getting you hyped for the kickoff, which will be at 8.20 p.m. at Sheeran in town. It's going to be an unbelievable day. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, Matt Baker, you saw a lot of college football, drove a lot of miles, and sat in a lot of traffic. So we, we've got plenty to get <laughs> to uh, from your doubleheader uh, at Florida and Florida Atlantic and then of course, on to Tallahassee and FSU and Notre Dame. And I want to start there, even though you didn't, um, with with that game that was uh, Sunday night, I believe. Listen, uh, I thought you wrote it beautifully, uh, and, and this is not easy to do. People don't understand how tough it is when you're, when you're on deadline, much less an overtime game. But the story was not so much the result or the comeback Florida State was attempting, as you said. It was the comeback that Mackenzie Milton completed – Matt, you followed this guy's story. You've written about it. You even texted with his doctor during the game. Uh, what, a, what a moment, what, what drama, and even though they didn't come out on the right side of the scoreboard, just, just capture for us all that was going on there at Florida State that night. 
Yeah, well, well, thanks for having me on, Rick. Um, it was not the the best Florida State Notre Dame game I have witnessed. It was definitely not the most important Florida State Notre Dame game I have witnessed, or or the the you know, best game of my career, or anything like that. But that was one I will never forget. Uh, it, just one of the most mm. unbelievable games, and and I mean, really, just Mackenzie Milton. The, the fact that he was playing. It, the fact that he was on a team on a sideline was remarkable. The fact that he's walking without pain is, is fantastic. The, the fact that he entered a 10-point game in the fourth quarter against a top-team, big-name opponent, and not only like didn't cower, he played well. He made some heads-up plays. Mm. The, the first 22-yard pass he had was to Ja'Kai Douglas. The throwaway he had, um, the, the little shovel pass, he, he kind of scooted a little bit, had, had, had a scramble. He played well and led his team back to overtime where they had a chance to, you know, look, they had a chance to win the game. And that was remarkable. I just, I mean, unbelievable. It's, it's, it's awesome for college football that Doak was, was on fire. I mean, that was the best Doak has felt since Willie Taggart's opener uh, against Virginia Tech in 2018, at least the first, you know, five or 10 minutes of it. Um, But for, Mm. for everything to, to coalesce the way it did for McKenzie Milton to do that. I mean, I, it's, it's unbelievable. I'm, I'm like you said. I'm, I'm texting an, an orthopedic surgeon from the Mayo Clinic at twelve thirty in the morning or whatever it is, and he's just saying that <laughs> using four exclamation points and saying miraculous, and and that's just what it was. And there aren't enough words in the English language for me to comprehend and describe what happened, other than it was something I will never, ever forget. I don't know what's more impressive that you texted him uh, a doctor from the Mayo Clinic at that hour or that he actually answered you with that text, which was even even more miraculous. But listen, um, you, you said it well and, and you wrote it well. I, I think that a couple a couple of things from that game. I, I wasn't sure. I, I sort of expected, I don't know why, that Milton might get in the game. But then the game started and I saw how much trouble Florida State was having protecting their quarterback, which some of that might have been on him. Um, you know, slow to recognize things, pulling the ball down, that sort of stuff. You just never really know, uh, you know, ultimately whose who's fault it is that your quarterback seems to be under siege. But once I saw that occur, I thought, yeah, Milton's probably not going to be put in a position, you know, tonight against this defensive line or this defense and this, this football team might not be a great idea for his debut. Um, and then it happened, right? The helmet comes off, and next thing you know, he's in a game. And, and to your point, didn't just play, but led them back. And I'm watching, man. I'm I'm sure you had your head on the field and in the in the computer as you're writing this story. But they kept showing shots of his mother, who looked parts tortured and and just overcome with emotion. Um, that that was the picture that I'll remember from this game for years. Is just what what pride and and fear that his parents must have been sharing at that moment. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're exactly right. Um, if, I mean, honestly, that's a feeling that I think a lot of fans had, right? Like, where, where yeah. everybody, it, his comeback is so fan, so remarkable and, and so, I mean, literally un- unprecedented, according to a guy who performed ten thousand surgeries like this one. It, that mm. everybody wants to see him succeed and wants to do him wants to see him do well. But I think everybody also has this like, oh my god, what if he gets hurt? What if something bad happens again? Mm. Um, and and yeah. I, you know, I can't imagine being a parent in that situation. And I'll say this: I, I think the only person who wasn't worried was Mackenzie Milton, and, and he said, yeah. "You know, it felt like yeah. it was three years ago." 
Uh, and he didn't look quite the same. Again, I mean, some of it's the, the team he was playing and the team he's on and everything, but uh, he he looked absolutely calm out there and like he was having fun. Hard to do. Hard to go into a game cold like that uh, in the fourth quarter when you're still within reach and then make make plays to help bring them back and have a chance to win it at the end. Um, that was just remarkable. So we have to look into our crystal ball a little bit here. Uh, what did you think about the quarterback play for Florida State? And do you think that, that Milton will will get more of a chance to play um, just given his short stint you know, against Notre Dame? I do think he will have those opportunities as the season goes on. I, I'm not sure what they're going to do Saturday against Jacksonville State. I, I don't, you know, as we sit here today on Tuesday, I don't know if they know yet. Um, McKenzie, I think mm-hmm. they wanted to be a little bit cautious with, work him in a little bit. And obviously he, he got thrown in and and, uh, and, and played well. Um, so I, I think they're going to still be a little bit cautious. And, and honestly, maybe they can use Jacksonville State to kind of figure out what they want to do before their schedule heats up again a little bit more um, and, and figure out whether they think he is the best guy or, or Travis is. Um, I think your point is well taken on... Uh, the the offensive line play. Um, Jordan Travis spent a lot of the game fleeing for his life, and I think some mm-hmm. of it was on him. I think more of it was on the offensive line. That you know, we, I've talked a thousand yeah. times, written a thousand times about how bad it's been over the last few years. To, to FSU's credit, they they run blocked significantly better and got better. I thought as the game went on, but their pass protection wasn't very good, and that's not a good position to put a guy with a, a surgically repaired knee like Milton in where he's going to have to run for his life. That's not, that's not what you want. Um, but maybe they saw enough with how he played in that limited action to think, you know what, we can scheme around this. Maybe we can make this work. So that's a long way of saying, I'm not sure what they're going to do, but I would be surprised if McKenzie Milton is not in the picture and, and in the game plan going forward, at least to some degree. It's hard to say that after you watch a team give up, you know, what, 35, 38 points, whatever it was to Notre Dame, that that defensively they got it figured out. Although, again, Notre Dame has some really explosive players and you got to give them credit for what they are. Was there any was there any good signs, you think, as far as, you know, Mike Norvell can take out of that game to make him think, okay, we went toe-to-toe with a team that's usually in the national <laughs> championship hunt. Um, we're going to be okay in the ACC going forward. Yeah, a, a lot of them. Um, I, I went into the press box thinking six and six was a success for this team. And I think I still probably have to stand by that. But I left thinking mm-hmm. they could go seven and five. Maybe they could go eight and four. I mean, did Miami wow. look good against wow. Bama? No. Now, no, maybe Bama is no. just that much better than everybody else. Um, but it's also yeah. possible Miami is shaky. So maybe that's gettable. D- North Carolina didn't impress me against Virginia Tech. You know, we, we knew North Carolina lost uh, a lot of really good skill at, at running back and receiver. I, I thought they were going to be able to replace it better than they did, but now they look, you know, I think they look gettable. So, yeah, I, I think I feel better about the Knowles this year than I have in the past. Um, I, I don't think they're back or anything like that, but I can see a path to back from here. You know, Mike Norvell is a really sharp coach. Like I said, he was able to scheme around an offensive line that wasn't that good. Um, he, he has some playmakers. We get Trayshawn Ward from, from Plant City and Tampa Bay Tech, or, or uh, uh, Jay Sean Corbin, the A&M transfer, Andrew Parchment, the Kansas transfer, uh, Ja'Kai Douglas. These are guys that, by and large, he brought in when, and was able to put in good positions to make plays. And we saw in Memphis what he can do with that. So I think going forward, that's a yeah. good sign. 
Um, you, you mentioned the defense. Well, the defense got pushed around against Notre Dame up, up there last year. And yeah, they, they didn't have a, a fantastic game, but they were better. And you add that up, and honestly, one of the the best signs, I thought, was the way FSU treated the game afterward. This is a... Look, to me, as I sit here watching this objectively, that was a very good performance for FSU. That is a type of thing, a moral victory kind of moment. But FSU did not see it that way, Rick. They saw it as, this is disappointing, we were Mm. close, this isn't good enough. And that, to me, is another sign that Mm. they're not ready to accept the fact that Again, people like me think six and six would be good. They're they're looking for more, and I think that's another sign of where this program is. Could go a long way for sure. And they've got what Jackson State, I think, this week. Uh, no, no, Rick. Jackson the, State would be interesting. That's 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 uh, that's oh, uh, Deion Sanders. Jacksonville that's, that's State. Prime. Jacksonville, Jacksonville State, right? State. Yes. Now, ah, FS- okay. Well, that's yeah. Yeah, FSU, you know, Jacksonville State at least was somewhat competitive against FSU. Was it last year or the year before? So, yeah, maybe, but nah, no. Right. We don't need to comment on yeah. that. Well, that'll be a nice tune-up. Um, okay, let's go to the other game in uh, the state of Florida that you attended, uh, and, and this one you went to on Saturday, I believe it was. Look, we've all been waiting for the Emory Jones era to begin, and I wasn't really sure exactly uh, – how it would go. I think he's definitely Dan Mullins type of quarterback. I looked at the score. I didn't watch much of the game, Matt, but judging from what you wrote, um, sort of the highlights that I saw some good, some bad, right? Yeah. Emory was fine. Um, I I thought he was fine. I I, I question, I don't have a good answer yet for how vanilla Florida was being um, just because they didn't need to be Florida. They're they're light years ahead of Florida Atlantic as, as they should be. Um, so I don't know how exotic they wanted to be because, you know, let's face it, we'll talk about this in a minute, but they play USF on Saturday. I don't expect that game to be close, but then it's Bama. So I think there's some of it we don't want to show too much, which is a smart thing. Um, Emory was was fine. Not not great, but fine. The, the big thing is, is Anthony Richardson came in, you know, came in for a series and had a couple splash plays and then uh, came in in the fourth quarter mm-hmm. of a not competitive game. And man, he's good. He. Yeah. Twitter Twitter was lighting up about some of the plays he made. The 73-yard scramble and the hurdle that was... Again, I, I think I've talked on, on this show about how highly I think of Lamar Jackson. Um, not like mm-hmm. I'm breaking any news here. Lamar is one of the handful of, of special, special players I have seen. That hurdle Anthony Richardson had in the fourth quarter, I mean, he, he juked one guy, made a guy miss, ran around and, and hurdled a guy. It, it wasn't it, it was Lamari. It was it was like Lamar Jackson, and I, I do not say that lightly. Um, so that's the big thing with the Gators is what's going to be happening with quarterback. And Mullen has made it clear so far that Emory Jones is still his guy. He's still riding with him. But if Anthony continues to make some splashes like the way he did the other night, I mean, shoot, the, Mullen said Anthony actually Anthony Richardson actually graded out higher than Emory just because of those explosive plays. And if that keeps going, yeah. then we'll see whether Mullen has a decision that he feels like he needs to make. Again, I don't know if it's before Bama, after Bama, heading into Georgia. We'll see how it shakes out. But it's definitely something to monitor because uh, the Gator fans, I can tell you, are quite excited about what they saw from Anthony Richardson. The backup quarterback's always the favorite guy on the team, but in this case, always. he played really, really well. So uh, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing more of him. I'm sure Gator fans will too. And 
they may get their wish right away because Florida is headed to USF where they'll probably they have a sellout of mostly Gator fans, I'm sure. Um, so it'll feel like a home game to the Gators. Look, I'm going to ask you this question because we, we kind of were debating this, myself and Joey Knight, a little bit. Um, last Thursday, USF opened their season at North Carolina State. Not a easy test, right? I mean, they're on the road, decent ACC team. You never know with North Carolina State. Some years they look like they could win the, the whole thing, right? <laughs> uh, and it seems like they have a good football team, but then they can also are capable of losing to anybody. So they went up there, and they just got it handed to them. Uh, I want to say it was like 45 to nothing. Um, mm-hmm. Not a good performance uh, by any of their quarterbacks, to say the least. I didn't think necessarily that Jeff Scott was very patient with his starter. There were plays to be made. He made some bad throws. He made changes at quarterback after like the first quarter or so. So, you know, there's lots to scrutinize with USF, which we can do. Um, however, I want to take that backdrop of watching that game. And on the same night, UCF hosts Boise State, falls behind, comes back at the bounce house with a big victory over a very good program in Boise State. Oh, and by the way, all the news that was breaking was that UCF, not USF, but UCF was among those handful of teams that seemed to be slated or at least targeted, maybe both of them wanting each other, to go to the Big 12. Given all of that, Matt, could this have been ground zero for USS football program? In other words, they've won one game in two years, and you get absolutely killed on a day when USF, UCF comes back, beats a nationally renowned program, and it looks like they're the ones being chosen to go to the Big 12. Yes, th- this, this was bad. Um, it was one of the worst days in USF football history, I would argue. Um, the McNeese State uh, Willie Taggart game is is up there as well, but people are going to hate me for this. But that's okay. It could get worse. <laughs> oh let's, let's, no! Really? Let's, <laughs> yes. Let's start with 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 what happened. Because I mean, USF looked looked really bad. Um, you're you're right. North Carolina State might be very good. You know, I they're a fringe top twenty five team. Um, they might be the best, the second best team in, in the division behind. Uh, behind Clemson, but USF showed no signs of life. They, they they were bad, and I don't know that how much better it's going to get anytime soon. Um, UCF looked good. I mean, they, they they struggled early, but the way they came back was was very impressive. Um, the, the Big Twelve thing. This is I cannot overstate how big this is. No, the Big Twelve is not going to be the a premier you know top three conference. They're they're not. Um, I don't know what's going to happen long term. For all I know, the there's going to be this breakaway premier league kind of thing where there's 24 to 36 schools, uh, the Florida's and, and Florida States and, and Georgia's and Texas's that leave behind everybody else, including the, what's left of the big 12. But as we sit here today it is a huge thing. It's a huge move for, for UCF. That's going to make them a lot of money. It's going to give them prestige and on and on and on. By the way, let's not forget about the fact of, of where things were 15 years ago or whenever it was when, when UCF wanted to join the Big East and USF said, no, 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 we're not letting you in. And, and now here we are where, as, as you said, you had those two games going on at the same time, and now UCF is literally out of USF's league, literally out of their league. That is, that is very bad. That is very, 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 very bad. Now here's how it could get worse. I could tell you, look, 
when, whenever this all shakes out, USF is going to have a decision to make. And, and when I say USF, I mean the coaches, I mean the administration from the president down, I mean the boosters, I mean the fans, I mean you listening, whoever you are. USF is going to have a decision to make. Do they want to be another UCF? Do they want to get their act together? Do they want to commit institutionally to being a high-level football program? Do they want to figure out whatever it is that needs to get done and and um, make that football operations center go, go from, from blueprints and, and years of planning to actually happen? Do they want to fill their stadium? Do they want to watch games? Do they want to get engaged on social media? Do they want to recruit better? Do they want to start winning? Do they want to do all those things that is necessary that UCF has done and USF has not so the Bulls can get to the point of the Knights? Or are they going to let this be a, a, a death knell that is too strong? But things could keep getting worse here. Um, we look at how, again, this thousand or 10,000 foot view here, the way college football is going the way the Power Five is splintering from everybody else, and the way I think that's going to go moving forward. Look, I don't know how many games USF is going to have like the Gators again, just because the way scheduling is going, where there's going to be more SEC games playing each other. There's going to be less room for the Gators or Miami with the Alliance and Florida State with the the Big Ten, Pac-12, ACC Alliance. There's not going to be a lot of those type of marquee games for USF. And you add in the fact that your top three teams in your conference are going away. How, how excited are people going to get, Rick, for USF to be playing Florida Atlantic and Georgia State and Temple and whatever their new con- the AAC, whenever it all shakes out, what, what that's going like? Not very. So I could see this going worse. I mean, <laughs> there's a guy, Matt Brown, who runs a, a great college sports newsletter called Extra Points. He tweeted the other day, that UConn was the big loser in the last round of realignment. USF could be the biggest loser in this round of realignment. And at first I thought it was crazy to even mention USF and UConn in the same sentence. But as I thought about it and thought through it, yeah, USF could crater like UConn. It, or they could decide wow. they want to be like UCF. Which of the civil conflict partners do they want to be? And that's going to be up to the program to decide. Because if they get their act together... I think this Thursday was, was ground zero. I think that was the rock bottom. But if they decide to continue being a, a, a mid, let's face it, a middling program, a struggling program, and a conference that's going to get worse and, and see the other pack separate it, then things could keep getting worse. Wow, that's sobering, but I don't necessarily disagree with you either. I, um, I've, I'm of the opinion that things can always get worse, so I'm the glass half empty guy. But, but I, I do agree with you in this sense that <laughs> That not, nothing is going to change with USF, like any program, right? Nothing will change until you start winning games. That's the really the only thing you you sort of control. And look, I don't. I have my doubts uh, about their head coach, and who wouldn't, right? After winning one game in 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 one season and one game that they have played, um, but even just the game day management of things, I, I I thought he was too quick to. You know, you have a whole spring practice. Okay, to decide who your quarterback is, and you go through all these evaluations, you get all these guys in the transfer portal, and this is it. We're going to find our guy, and our guy is going to go out there, and we know that we're probably not going to beat North Carolina State on the road out out of the box. I mean, it'd be nice, but in all likelihood, it's not. We're not going to win that game. Okay, 
Um, but you go up there and, and yeah, things aren't going well on offense. They're not converting on third down. Maybe you can make it easier for the kid by more success on first and second down. But he misses some throws. There's some shot plays there to hit. Um, mm-hmm. He's a little hyped up. I think the ball was sailing on him. But then you just abandon ship and go, nope, let's put the other guy in there. And he runs around a little bit, and he makes a play or two, and then he throws some some bad throws and some picks. And then it's like, well, let's run the other guy back. I, I just don't, I don't know who's – I mean, it all falls down on the head coach, but – you know, is he letting is he letting Charlie Weiss Jr. call plays now, or is he stick? Is he trying to do too much? I think a lot of times, head coaches that are first time head coaches, and I've talked going back as far as Bruce Arians at Temple, they tend to want to control every single thing. They have to be in charge mm-hmm. of all of it, right? And we know that so much comes by their desk that they're not prepared for because they're going at a coach ball, and it's like the last thing you do. I just wonder if he's not micromanaging things. Um, does he have a good staff? What is the plan? Can you stick with it? Can you develop these guys? Because, Matt, you know this in college football. I mean, we always like the backup quarterback. But at some point, you know, you also have to develop these guys. They have to get game reps. They have to they have to see things and fail and, 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 and then persevere. I mean, Quentin Flowers wasn't born overnight. You know, his first game, he was missing guys by a lot, you know. Um, and it didn't look good at all, but they stuck with him, and he's probably the most – prolific player that they've had at that position in in their history. So I don't know. I don't know where they're headed, but I know UCF's future sure looks bright, and that's got to be a, a just a stab in the gut uh, for Mike Kelly and those guys at USF. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, back on the quarterbacks here, um, just to rewind a second, Florida and Florida State, you, you know the old saying, if you got two quarterbacks, you ain't got one. You got none. That's right. Yeah. Florida and Florida State, they've got two quarterbacks. And USF right now, they ain't got one. Um, look, <laughs> that's just that's just the reality. And um, Jeff Scott, he didn't – I mean, he more or less acknowledged it today. And when I say that, I'm not saying that he, he said his quarterbacks are terrible. No. What he said um, – and I, we're recording this Tuesday. So what he said on his Tuesday press conference was that he's using the first four games – or you know, hopefully not all four, but if, if it has to be four games to figure out who's going to start at quarterback when they open um, AAC play against SMU. That is the plan. That is what they want to do. Ideally, would they be doing that? No, but he doesn't know who his long-term, you know, in terms of this year starter is. So that was what the plan was. It wasn't a situation where uh, USF wants to use both quarterbacks for a schematic reason. You know, like, they, like the Gators used... Yeah. Um, Anthony Richardson and used Emory Jones last year where there's a schematic. We think we can do this. This is what this mm-hmm. guy brings. It wasn't like that. It's a, we're still trying to figure out what we want to do. And that's why both are going to play. And that's why I think both will play Saturday against the Gators and who knows what happens against uh, FAMU and, and BYU afterwards. So that's the reason that that's going on there. It's, it's completely fair to second guess the way it was handled. I, I, I don't necessarily disagree with that at all. Um, but that's at least the thought process. And you know, I, I can understand the logic where, yeah, you're, you're probably more going to beat NC State. You're probably not going to beat Florida. Uh, maybe what you need to do is get tuned up for your conference play, and maybe you can string some games together and uh, figure out what you're doing a little bit more and have more of a chance, and then you can start winning. And then once that, you do that, you can start recruiting better and, and, and getting the buzz and everything. So. I don't know. I think your your criticism is is warranted, and I, I think it's fair. Um, but I also kind of see where where Jeff's coming from, and we'll just have to. And I hate saying this, but we'll just have to see how it plays out. 
Yeah, we'll have to see. And, and he's got to find his quarterback or combination of them. However that works out, it's up to him to do that. And then you're, you, to your point, they should have be much more competitive in their conference. If they're going to be competitive at all, that's where it's going to happen. Let me get your thoughts on the ACC and overreaction of week one, of course. Uh, I'm not worried about Clemson all that much. Look, they allowed 10 points. They scored only three. It was a remarkable job. You called it. Uh, you, you're, you're high on Georgia this year. Their defense looks like all that. And then some, Kirby Smart certainly has the Bulldogs pointed in the right direction. And, and I think they're going to be uh, probably the second best team next to Alabama. And we'll see what happens there. But um, the rest of the ACC, some disappointing debuts to say the least. Uh, are, are we worried about uh, who's who's good other than maybe Clemson? Yes. And it's not because this isn't like a you – know, week one is weird. Stuff happens. I, I get it. Sure. But this isn't like a – it's just a, a week one thing in this year. No. The ACC hasn't been good for uh, – it's been a couple of years now. Um, it was yeah, what, 16, 16 was the year Clemson won the national championship. There's, there was a, a famous game at, at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, Deshaun Watson to, mm-hmm. to Hunter Renfro. Our, our listeners here might remember it. Um, Florida State beat Michigan in the Orange Bowl. Mar Jackson won the Heisman. The ACC was the best conference in the country that year. And since then, they have not been anywhere close to that. Um, you know, Clemson ha- has been has been a very, very good program in the top couple in the country. Um but the the depth isn't there. They they there were the the per, look the conference has struggled. It hasn't been as good, um, and that's a long term concern. Because again, I'm viewing everything right now th- through the prism of this year, but also looking long term and just the way things are. Yeah. Where um, the SEC and the Big Ten are going to be the top two conferences almost every single single year. They're going to be making so much more money than everybody else eventually this, look this stuff isn't sustainable and the acc's top problem is the football isn't good enough and at some point it's either going to have to elevate or things are going to get bad and as of you know right now it hasn't been it hasn't been good enough um and from what i saw uh, th- this weekend you know I'll, I'll give fsu credit for playing with with notre dame i that i feel better about them but north carolina i i expected to be a top 12 team and they did not look very good um louisville mm-hmm. I, you know, it's kind of a, a wild card in there, but they, I think they got a really good coach who did not look very good against uh, Ole Miss without without Lane Kiffin, and, and on and on. Where yeah, the ACC has some issues, and it, it's not too late to fix them, um, but they have they have some issues. And if it's one of those things where if it doesn't get better soon, it has a chance to spiral. Man, I'm all doom and gloom, more so than usual. Well. I'll give you something to to be positive about. Maybe you are, okay. maybe you aren't. And that is what, what Chip Kelly is doing at UCLA. LSU goes out there, hurricane, long trip. I get all that. UCLA looks like the real deal, man. Why why not them in the national championship picture? I think national championship picture is too, is, is, a, is a little much, but they're relevant. Um, they're, they're, they're good. Mm. You know, I think I've got them. Uh, what do I have? I've got them I think 15th on my, my AP ballot this week. Um, okay. and look, uh, right. UCLA's, they're an interesting program. Chip Kelly is such a, such a weird dude, but college football is better when he is, is being interesting and doing things his own way and having success. Yeah. And, and, uh, USC, um, USC, uh, kicked the crap out of uh, San Jose state, which was a pretty good team. So, you know, I, I look what I want in college football. I want interesting teams and I would like it to be yeah. 
coast to coast, everybody has some good teams. I think that's more interesting. And the fact that, again, through week one, UCLA and USA or um, USC and UCLA are both good. That's that's an interesting thing. I I hope that keeps going. I'd like to see them playing in relevant games going forward. What games will you be kind of keeping an eye on nationally uh, this week, Matt, that uh, that might move the needle? I know Oregon and Ohio State are getting together. There's one. Yeah, Oregon, Ohio State is is, is interesting for sure. Um, Ohio State didn't look fantastic against Minnesota, but I think Minnesota is pretty strong. Um, Ohio State's got a ton of really good playmakers. Travion, the the um, freshman running back, and then uh, Chris Olave and Garrett mm-hmm. Wilson, the receivers. I mean, they had all sorts of flash plays, but the back end of that defense is, is second is a uh, is suspect. So you know, Ohio State's still yeah. a a top five team, but they're they're beatable, uh, but they're at least going to be interesting. Oregon, um, they didn't look fantastic against Fresno State, but I think Fresno's pretty good. The, to me, the key there is going to be Kayvon uh, Thibodeau, the defensive lineman, and his health. Um, I haven't seen whether he'll be able to play yet. I don't know if that's been decided yet, but I mean, when he's healthy, I think he's probably going to be the best player in the country this year and the number one overall pick. So that's something definitely to uh, to keep in mind. Um Florida USF, and when we talked about that, I, I just want to see how the quarterbacks looked. Um, just because I, I'm, you know, I, what does it mean for this week? What does it mean for long term at, at both? I think that's an interesting one. A um, and M in Colorado, Texas A and M in Colorado. Uh, Jimbo kicked the crap out of some Kent State, I guess it was. So hey, good for him. Colorado's at least a team. So you know, if Jimbo's going to have this big breakout year, he's going to have to start. You know, Putting together nice wins, and Colorado's another uh, chance there. And then the, the other one I'll, I'll touch on just briefly, um, Iowa-Iowa State, the, the Cyhawk game. You know, one of the oh, cool yeah. rivalries in, in, in college football. Um, Iowa looked mm-hmm. extremely impressive in destroying Indiana the other day, whereas Iowa State looked yeah. really bad against Northern Iowa. Um, but the, the Cyclones continue to kind of do this every year where their first game they, they lay an egg, and then by the end of the season they're one of the top – uh, 10, 15 teams in the country. So if Iowa State plays as bad as it did in their opener, it's going to be an ugly one. But if they play up to their potential, that should be a fantastic game out names. Will you be at the uh, Gators USF? And what else do you got coming up uh, for us in college football uh, that you might be writing about this week uh, on TampaBay.com and the Tampa Bay Times? Yeah, I, I will be at the, the Florida-Florida State game, or Florida-Florida State, Florida-USF game. I'm excited to have a home game. I only have to drive 20 minutes and not two hours. <laughs> there you um, go. There you go. <laughs> let's let's talk about the important thing, my commute. Um, so I'm excited for that. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm monitoring a Big 12 realignment this week, and I've got some some. I've got a lot of thoughts on that. I don't know if I made that clear with uh, how I talked. Um, so we'll kind of see what happens there. Yeah, you did. And then uh, another thing that I'm I'm, I'm working on is just uh, I touched on it earlier, but something coming out in uh, Wednesday's Times and soon on TampaBay.com. Um, just about how these USF UF games, I, I think their days are numbered. Unfortunately, um, I think it's cool that mm. we get state matchups. I mean, uh, USF has a series with Miami coming up. Um, they obviously played uh, Florida State a couple years ago, um, and, and the Gators have games against Miami and FSU, and they've got a two for one with UCF. I think these games are really cool, and I'm glad to see them. But the way scheduling is going, we're not going to have them a lot, a lot of them going forward. When the the SEC, when Texas and Oklahoma join, the expectation is the league is going to go to nine or ten SEC games. That doesn't leave a lot of spots for USF or UCF. And then the uh, 
the ACC with its scheduling alliance with the Big Ten and Pac-12, if they play two non-conference games with, with those guys, that doesn't leave room for a Miami USF or, or UCF or something. So I, I think it's kind of, you know, just enjoy this game, even if it's a blowout. Enjoy the fact that the Gators are going to be in Tampa for the first time in, in a regular season game in, in uh, goodness, a long time. And uh, just because we might not get a lot of them anymore. Yeah, no shortage of fans like you that won't have to make the trip to Gainesville um, from the Woo! Tampa Bay area because we know that there's an awful lot of them that you follow up there uh, on I-275 heading north every Saturday. So um, that'll be a good thing for sure. He's Matt Baker. You can read him in the Tampa Bay Times on TampaBay.com. He covers college football, among other sports, for us at the Tampa Bay Times, and he's good enough to join us each week. Thanks, Matt. We appreciate it. You got it. Thank you. All right, tomorrow, big treat for you guys. You'll hear a portion of my interview with Tom Brady, the GOAT, sat down with me last week. You've read some of the stories in the Tampa Bay Times. Now you can hear it from his own mouth. Tom Brady on tomorrow's podcast, my interview with him, and my interview with Bucks middle linebacker or inside linebacker Devin White, who, for my money, is you know like a Ray Lewis for this club, a guy that could ascend to that level of excellence. Uh, I don't know if he'll be a Hall of Famer, but he has that style of play. Uh, I think he's going to be a difference maker in this game and going forward. You saw what he did in the postseason. I talked to Devin about his expectations for the year and for himself, so you want to make sure you stay tuned for uh, Tom Brady and Devin White tomorrow to get you ready for the Bucks against the Dallas Cowboys. The Rays, meanwhile, wrap up their series with Boston tonight. We have all that for you tomorrow on Sports Day Tampa Bay. Thanks for listening. For Steve Burstick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.